0: Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. So we are in a series that Danielle uh, did a great job last week starting us off on called The People of the King, um, where we are in the book of Philippians. Um, And Danielle didn't mention this, but she actually... Uh, she actually prepped that message in like two days, because we didn't know David was going to be out of town until then, so she did awesome on that. Um, so this is Philippians. She kind of just gave us an intro, uh, and so this week we're just starting Philippians 1. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, uh, if you've got your phones, uh, you can bring those out. We're just going to read the first 11 verses to start us out, and, and this is uh, starting in verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy... I'm curious. Uh, how many of you made New Year's resolutions? Just raise your hand if you made. A, I'm trying to figure out if that's even a thing now, right? Anybody? Seriously? Okay, there we go. I like that. Okay, I'm going to ask about that. So we got a couple. All right. I've, yeah, I've, I've heard very little about New Year's resolutions um, recently. I think it's happening quietly, though. Okay. And I say that because I was at the Y this Monday, this past Monday here. And, um, and I guess maybe, I guess it was like the, the Monday of the first full week back from the holidays, and I have never seen it more full in my, whole, in my whole time there. And I mean, it was crazy. There was like the parking lot, the big parking lot there at the South City Y, it's completely full, and there were cars spilling into the street. Like I've never, never seen cars on the street before. So then so we go in there, it's like, it's like crazy packed. Don't, don't. Don't get any, uh, you know. Don't don't let me lead you falsely here. I'm I'm at the Y because Laney has swim practices there. I'm not. That's that is literally the only reason. Okay. So, um, but I can, you know, but I observe. Okay. Yeah. This is very full. So, so obviously, even if we haven't heard of some uh, New Year's resolutions going on, I think there's some, you know, this is a this is a time of year where where people make some resolutions. So I am, I am curious, though, for, for the couple, a few of you who made New Year's resolutions, does anyone have one that's like more interesting than I'm going to go to the gym or something? I mean, I saw a hand, a hand from a... <laughs> he's hiding now. Any, I'm just curious. Anyone have one that's interesting? Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right, so the, so the Tomax made a list of fun things you want to do this year, and that, that's like the best New Year's resolution I've ever heard. So there's like 10 things. Yeah, so we'll see how far we get, but it's just fun stuff, so it doesn't matter. It's, it's great. All right, I love that. Well, you know, I think for a lot of us, uh, uh, for all, a lot of us who follow Jesus, um, and, and I know many of you are in the camp, um, the Bible is like, that kind of comes up at the beginning of the year too, right? Like you kind of think about the year before, and you're like... I don't know if I really spent that much time in God's Word and feel like that was maybe something that I want to do more of, right? Anybody can relate with that a little bit, yeah? Um, I've actually heard from some of you directly that that's the case, so I know that's true. Um, and so, yeah, this is a good time of year that you're like, okay, I, wanna, I, I maybe want to you know, figure out a plan or do something like that. And, um, and you know, last week, uh, Danielle... She ended with this uh, this invitation, um, and, and actually she called it a Bible study tip, which I thought was, was great, is was to share about your experience of the Bible with someone else. Like that's actually a great first step, you know, or a step to be able to help us in our experience with the Bible is to be able to talk about it. So I thought I would start there and just share a little bit uh, for myself. Um, I grew up in a household where um, I knew the Bible was important because my my mom like, read it, like, all the time. I mean, I, I, you know, she, she was super busy. She was raising four kids, uh, doing a million things, but, um, but she always had a Bible out. She had her, she had her Chinese Bible, uh, which was, you know, I had no idea what was in it, Uh, but, you know, she had that out, and then she would also have this, uh, it was like a kid's NIV Bible. I I think it must have been, like, one of my sisters or something um, in English, and she would have that out, too, and she'd, like, carry little chunks of it around, and I, I don't know how it became chunks, but, you know, probably one of my sisters, but uh, but it, but she would, like, take him around, and she'd read the scripture in, in both languages. She was always, like, taking in scripture, so I knew it was important, and the church that I grew up in, they, they were really good at teaching the Bible, and so so I always knew it was important, But um, but I always also had a hard time, like, actually reading it, you know? I could never really Get myself to do what you were supposed to do, and like, you know, get up in the morning and read the Bible every day. I just, I just really, I'd, I'd start, you know. Some years I would make a New Year's resolution, you know, like maybe the maybe a Bible on a year plan, and sometime around uh, January 5th, you know, I would I would start to fall behind, right? Uh, and then, but you know, if you only fall behind a day, that's okay. You can catch back up, right? But by about February 2nd, you're like, okay, that's too far gone, right? Like you're, you're, I'm, I'm like so far off, and then you just give up, and you know. So that was me, right? I really kind of felt like the Bible was uh, this thing that was good for me, that I should do, um, and that I was just kind of failing at, and um, yeah, and I and I lived that way for for a long time, kind of kind of like eating Brussels sprouts and going to the gym, for example, right? It's good, good for you. You should do that. Um, what what changed for me was. It uh, was definitely tied to coming here, uh, coming into the Vineyard, um, which I started in college, but it was, it was a little after that. You know, one of the phrases, if you've been to one of our introductory classes, you've probably heard this phrase that John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, had, which is, the menu is not the meal. The menu is not the meal, okay? And what that means is that when we look at the scripture, right, there can sometimes be a tendency for some people, anyways, and, and certainly back in the 80s when John Wimber was starting out, there's a big tendency to look at Scripture like, in a really analytical, really academic sort of way, to really you know, really dig into the Word and, and like, kind of squeeze every drop of it out and, and, and sort of treat the Bible like it was on its own pedestal, in a way. And, um, and what John Wimber came in and said is, like, no, I mean, the Bible's awesome. <laughs> we absolutely need the Bible. But the purpose of the Bible is, not, is to bring us to God, right? The menu is not the meal. The menu... The menu takes you to the meal, right? Gets you to a place where you can enjoy that, but really what we're after is God. And, um, and then along the same, uh, along, around that same time, there was the song that uh, I remember uh, Sandra McCracken did. Uh, it based off this, this old, I think it was like an 18th century uh, poem that Isaac Watts wrote. Isaac Watts is a prolific hymn writer, and, um, and, and it goes like this. It says, "'Laden with guilt,' and full of fears, I fly to thee, my Lord, and not a glimpse of hope appears, but in thy written word. And he goes on to say, the volumes of my Father's grace does all my griefs assage, and here I behold my Savior's face in every page. Here I behold my Savior's face in every page. And I I just, those things just started to come together for me, right? Like, Oh, Scripture is about Jesus. It's about how He has revealed Himself to us in these pages. It's not—it's not just about like, you know, being a discipline or you know, being something that's good for you. And that really changed things for me quite a bit. And um, and you know, as I think about. Uh, as I think about Scripture, I think that lens that I, I kind of that God gave me that I adopted over that time, like that really makes all the difference, right? Having the right lens, having an appropriate lens for Scripture, uh, makes makes all the difference. And so that was that was a big piece of it for me. Um, and part of what we want to do in this series, though, uh, actually a lot of what we want to do in the series, is actually kind of introduce. Uh, another lens, maybe not introduce, but maybe emphasize a, a, a different lens too. And so maybe this is a subtitle. I, we didn't make this a subtitle of the series, but I just made it up for today. Is that the people of the kings, Philippians through, an us lens. And and I'll talk more about what I mean on that. Okay. But having again having a lens through which you read Scripture uh, matters a great deal. And so um, we're gonna we're gonna get into that here as we go through. Philippians 1, okay? So Paul and Timothy here, they say, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you, right? Sounds like a standard greeting from Paul, from from his letters. Um, But a couple of things that I I noticed right away in that is, first of all, Paul says it's me and Timothy. I mean, clearly Paul's writing this letter, and he uses I from there on out. But he, he says, no, it's me and Timothy coming to you together. And we are writing this, and this is really important for us to to hear for the whole series here. We are writing this to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, to everybody. Okay, this is not a letter to just a couple people or one person. This is a letter to the whole body, okay? And so what we need to hang on to as we go through this series, and we're going to do our best to do this, okay, is like we're really used to reading Paul's letters especially in kind, of a, in kind of a me lens, okay? We're used to kind of taking it in and, and being able to hear, okay, this is what I need to do spiritually. This is what God wants me to hear, right? Which is great. We need that, absolutely, and we want that to continue, okay? But what I want you to really get, if you don't get anything else from this morning as far as like for the rest of the series, I want you to hear that we're going to try really hard to read this book from an us lens, because it was written to, and us, it was written to the whole church in Philippi, okay? So everyone in Philippi. So then he goes on to say this, right? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. So what do you notice about that, right? What do you notice about that uh, section there after the greeting? I mean, it is like incredibly warm, right? I mean, Paul is like gushing. You know, Danielle said uh, that that this is this book is often known as like the book of joy, right? It's it's the it's Paul's least angry letter, I think. <laughs> and uh, and when he talks to these Philippians, I mean, you just get this incredible sense. I mean, it's almost over the top, just how much he's saying. Wow. I really love you guys. You know, I feel this connection with you. I mean, even I mean, that, that word yearning, I mean, that we could we could we could study a lot of these words and just the significance of, of what Paul means by them. And you know, I guess the question that I would have in that was like, why? Where did that come from? You know, how did how did it get to be the case that Paul could view he and Timothy together as an us with the Philippians, okay? And so, um, so like we said last week, we're going to be doing some Bible study tips. Along, uh, I, I think pretty much every week we'll we'll do something like this. Okay, so here's a here's a Bible study tip. We're going to do this uh, near the beginning here, and that is this. Okay, it's pretty simple. Go to other parts of the Bible first. Okay, when you have questions to answer questions about the Bible, go to other parts of the Bible. Use the Bible to study the Bible. Does that make sense? Use the Bible to study the Bible. Because one of the incredible things about Scripture that we see, and one of the reasons why we trust it so much, is that even though there are all these different independent authors, the whole thing hangs together really well. And very often, there are either indirect, or in this case, really direct things that we can glean from other parts of Scripture that help us to be able to interpret the context, right? And so in this case, what we're going to do is, and actually, I'm pretty sure like in this in this Bible here, um, I have to look so I'm not, I'm not like lying here. Yeah, Yeah, you know, there's like a bunch of little tiny letters, right? Like little superscript letters, and they point to other parts in the Scripture that you can look up. This is a reference Bible, right? And so this is going to point us to a passage in Acts that tells the story of how Paul came to be with the Philippians. And, and this is really, you know, this is going to be the bulk of what we do here, is just going through this quickly, Acts 16, okay? So if you want to turn that, feel free to. I'll put this on the screen too. And so in Acts 16, Paul is on, uh, on a missionary journey. He's, he's been sent out by the church in Jerusalem to go to preach the gospel and all over. And, and this is a fascinating part of it. And, and you can you read it from the beginning. I've just put a couple selections here. And it says that they, Paul, went through the region of, uh, oh, I don't actually know how to say that word, Phrygia. Okay, cool. And Galatia. You know, you read things in your head, and you don't know that you don't know how to pronounce it. It's funny. Um, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So that's interesting, right? So Paul's going out. He's got this mission, this direction, and it says that God actually prohibited him, the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus prohibits him from going what effectively is to both the north and to the south, okay? And so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, which is to the west, was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, okay? And so he's going from mainly like Asia Minor, like Turkey area, and now he's crossing over for the first time into what we consider to be Europe, okay? And so, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to uh, Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate, to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Okay? And so this is, the, Philippi is an important city, as he says, but one of the other things we mentioned last week was that it's also kind of an anti-Semitic place, not real friendly to the Jews. And one of the things we pick up from here is just that uh, there's actually not enough Jewish men to have a synagogue um, you have to have at least 10 Jewish men, and there weren't enough. And so, so they were going down to the river, to not, not to a building, but they were going down to a river, and what they found there was some faithful women <laughs> who were down at the river, and they started talking to them. And so one who heard us there was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. stay. And she prevailed upon us. Okay, so there's this woman named Lydia. And this woman, at least, at least that we know of, okay, this woman is the first convert to Christianity in all of Europe. Kind of a big deal. okay, A woman. Um, and she wasn't just any woman; she was a businesswoman, in fact, which I also find very fascinating—a seller of, uh, an entrepreneur, a seller of purple goods—and she had a softness to God already, right? She was a worshipper of God, and and so she was in a place where she could hear what Paul was uh, was presenting to them. Okay, so that's one story. I'll I'll say this before I go to the next part. If you know X16, what happens next is that as the believers start to gather, and Paul and uh, Silas, are, they're hanging out there. Um, they end up casting a demon out of a young girl who um, some men were really uh, really using, exploiting, or, or abusing even, um, for the sake of what she could do. She was demon-possessed, and so she could do some things that they found to be profitable. And Paul casts this demon out of this girl, and... Everybody goes nuts, right? These these people who who quote-unquote own this girl, they were, they were very angry, um, and they made a huge ruckus. And all of a sudden, Paul and Silas find themselves in prison, okay? And so it says here in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he threw his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Right? That would be, this would be very bad for his job, Okay, for everyone to escape. He's about to kill himself, but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fury, fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Famous verse here, okay? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Which is a message for, for all of you too. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Um, and so what happens, uh, what happens after that is they, you know, another series of events and they end up getting out and he visits Lydia again and then, and then they end up having to leave. Okay? And so read it for yourself, It's a lot of stuff in there. But you know, last week uh, Danielle presented this question, and I think this is this is something we will probably come back to a, a number of times. And the question is: Is there anything truly different about the community that gathers around Jesus? Is there anything truly different? What separates us from uh, you know from being you know football fans together, or from being I don't know what did you say bacon club lovers? Which I think we could probably start here uh, in the vineyard. Um, what, what's, what's different about the community that gathers around Christ? And, and, you know, there's a lot of ways that we could look at that. Uh, but I think out of this passage here in Acts, I think there's a couple of things that we just see happening, right? What, you know, what is the cause of Paul's affection? Why does he yearn to be with them? Well, well, at least one of those things is that man, he was led by the Holy Spirit to them, Right? He he was actually trying to do other things. He wasn't he never thought, he never planned to go to Philippi, but, but the Holy Spirit led him into this place of being with these people. And and that was that was a really significant thing for him, right? And you know, I, I just think that's one of the reasons that I that we that we always that we always have a value on the Holy Spirit. And what is the Spirit doing? How is he leading us? Right? Because one of the things that happens in any organization and even churches, maybe certainly in churches, is you can get to a point where the reason why you gather is because you gather. <laughs> and that's it. Um, and, you know, we've had, we've, we've experienced, you know, there's, there's been a lot of institutional church uh, in, in our world and, um, and, and the world is souring on that tremendously, isn't it? Um, you know, church attendance has fallen off a lot uh, for a long time and continues to do so. And, and, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But, but certainly one of the things that would guarantee that that happens <laughs> is when you become, a, uh, is when you're a people who are not led by the Spirit. Right? So we want to be led by the Spirit. We want to be led by the Spirit because that is one thing that, that very much draws us together, that separates, um, differentiates us from, uh, from every, every other context. Um, but one of the other things, too, that you see is that, that Paul goes through a trial, right? He's in prison. I mean, it's really funny. Like, he thinks about his time in Philippi, or he thinks about the Philippians, like, with all this affection and all this, all this wonderful flowery language. Man, he was beaten and imprisoned for, like, a lot of that time, <laughs> So I don't know about you, but if you were in a place where you were beaten and imprisoned, I don't know how much of your like, fond memories would like rise to the top in that case, right? but it did for Paul because they went through something together. And, and you can actually see later in Acts and even in Philippians, and uh, yeah, I can't get into all that, but, but there is this connection there because they went through a trial. Right? Their relationship, their bonds were forged in challenges and so I think that's another thing that, that, that holds them together in a really wonderful way. And then finally, what we see uh, out of Philippians is this idea that they're partners in the gospel. And I really wish I could spend a lot of time dissecting that. Uh, but, we, but we saw that when we read it. It's that your partnership in the gospel from the first day, they, they shared this commonality of Jesus and what Jesus was about, right? Christ and his kingdom. And that's really the big thing, right? And so I just want to, as, as we as we head towards the finish, okay, I want to I want to throw I like diagrams, okay, so I'm going to throw a little diagram up and just try to try to help us think about this thing a little bit. Um, so you know we are born <laughs> into this world as individuals, right? I mean we're 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 hanging out there, you know, growing in in mama's belly, and we're we're doing great. All we know is ourselves. And then we get unceremoniously tossed into the world, and all of a sudden, we know that it isn't just about me. There's, there's other people involved here. There's this idea of an us, right? And, and, you know, like for those of you who have gone through uh, uh, kids with toddlers and all that, right, you have this thing called separation anxiety, right? Many, many of you are very familiar with it. Some of you are going through that right now. Um, and, and what that is is really the outworking of this tension that exists for every single one of us as humans between individuality and togetherness, right? So, so kids feel like they're together with their mom or together with their parents, that there's no differentiation between the two. We are the same. And to the extent that they find out that that is actually not the case, that produces anxiety a lot of times, doesn't it, Right? But it's not just kids, right? This works itself out oh, as, as we grow and certainly into adulthood. It works itself out in society. There's this concept that there's just this constant tension. There's this constant place of anxiety between who am I as an individual and what does it mean that I actually need other people and that we live in a place of togetherness, that there is an us. Okay? And, and this, doesn't, this never goes away. Everybody has to deal with this. Okay? There's, there's something called family systems theory um, that, that talks a lot more about this and, um, and, and what you realize when you're, you're reading those things is like, oh yeah, this, is, this is like, describes a lot of the problems that I see in my life and other people's lives, right? And so the way that most societies deal with this is to really swing to one end or the other. It's really, really hard to live in a healthy place of holding these pieces together. And so we swing to one and another, and so some cultures do swing to that togetherness side, okay? You know, and so, so I know from, uh, from my Chinese upbringing that, you know, that culture, and, and, and for, for some of you guys from immigrant cultures, like, you, you know this as well, there's, there's a very strong sense of togetherness. That's, that's really important. The community, that communal aspect sort of takes, takes uh, precedent over everything else right? What, there's almost like less and less of an individual. We, don't, we actually don't want to acknowledge that. We want to just talk about what's good for the togetherness. And there's some good things to that. There's also some really damaging things to that, okay? But you and I live in America, <laughs> and I think you know that we are sorry, I hope I don't have to convince you of this, we are massively, wildly in the other direction, right, of individuality, that the individual is far and away the most important thing. In fact, I, I would say we are, and, and, I, and I was trying to use this, this phrase, I don't know, I don't know if it works or not, but, but I would say we are obsessively individualistic in this culture. Obsessively. Okay? Danielle liked the word habitual better. That's, that feels a little too soft. <laughs> obsessively. <laughs> habitual works too. Um, but yeah, and, and also obsessively individualistic. The acronym for that is OI. So, so whenever you, whenever you think, whenever you see something where you're like, oh, well, that's really, you know, you just think, think about that OI. <laughs> and so, so this is just where we're at, right? This is this is the air we breathe. This is the way our entire economy is set up, is around you as an individual and what you want and what you, and look, again, you matter as an individual for sure. God, the Bible tells us that every hair on your head has been counted, right? Which is easier for, you know, some of you than others. But uh, never mind, uh, I didn't say that. Uh, so, so, <laughs> that was the, I just lost a lot of people. Um, so you're important as an individual, very much so, very much so, okay? But you're not it. There is an us, and it's also very important. And so how we hold these things together that the Bible wants us to do, that God clearly in Scripture wants us to do is incredibly important. And it's challenging for us even in the church. Uh, You know, maybe even especially in the church in some ways. Because we do gather, right? We do gather. We make a habit of gathering. But a lot of times even how we see that is kind of from a mindset of being an individual. And if you you reflect on this, which I have, (laughs) I am guilty. (laughs) Guilty, guilty, guilty. It's very, very easy to think about even our own spiritual growth and what God is doing with us as, as really just a me thing, right? And, and in fact, like I was saying earlier, we, we've read Philippians, uh, for, for many of us, we've read Philippians is like a favorite book for a lot of people. There's like scripture after scripture that are, there's, there's verse after verse that are like famous refrigerator magnet verses in Philippians, Okay. But I bet if you look at those and how you've ingested it, I bet if you reflect on that, you will realize that you have read that from a lens of me. You've read it through a lens of what does that mean for me and Jesus. And again, nothing wrong with that. We need that. We absolutely need that. But it's something different to look at it through the lens of us. Okay. And so something does hold us together, and that, of course, is Jesus. That's the king, right? And being people of the king means that we are able to grow, we're able to learn, we're able to start to think about what does it mean to be us uh, in, in this context here, okay? And so, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, actually, even in Philippians, Paul, Paul mentions something in uh, chapter 2, and I don't want to steal away from those teachings, but he says something about Timothy that's really fascinating. He says that, I'm going to send Timothy to you. I have no one like him. Um, meaning that of all the other Christians that Paul has you know, minis- as, well, probably evangelized to directly, of all the people that he's around, there's no one else like Timothy who has the Philippians' best interests in mind. Everybody else is only thinking about themselves. And I think he's saying that about Christians. Everybody else is just thinking about themselves. I only have Timothy. That's how unique it is. That's how rare it is for there to be people who can think about us is that even for Paul he just had Timothy who he could send to the Philippians because he knew that Timothy would be able to think about them as an us right and so here's here's just a, a verse I want you to think about I kind of passed this over quickly but in verse six okay this is this is kind of practice for us okay and this will be the invitation we'll, we'll just start in on it earlier here verse six famous verse and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's ask. The you in there, who is he talking about to? He's talking to everybody, right? He's talking to the whole church in Philippians. He's talking to the us, right? And so you and I, we've, we've, we've probably, if, you're, if you've been around church at all, we've probably taken that verse in as a me. Again, great. Let's do that. But this week, what I want you to do here's the invitation. Oh yeah. So first of all, as a, I phrase this in a, a New Year's resolution way, resolve to practice reading Scripture with an us lens, okay? And as practice, begin begin with Philippians 1:6, asking Jesus to show you the good works that He started in us. And, and, and I and I'll just you know you could narrow that down in a variety of ways. You know, I think I think some of you, especially in, in good, healthy families you're able to think about an us like as your family unit, and that's really, really good, okay? In fact, some of you guys think about the us in the family unit maybe to the detriment of the, the me in those cases, okay? But for most of us, if even getting outside of that family unit is difficult, right? And the beauty of having a church like this, and I am, I am incredibly grateful for this church, is that we do have a context for which we can practice this, this type of thinking, right? You can contextualize this in the context of our, our local body. Now, I think God means for us to do this on larger levels as well, uh, but it's actually pretty cool. There's, you know, there's, there's great things about churches of all different sizes. Uh, there, really, there really is. But I think one of the great things about a church of our size is like, you know, you can know like pretty much almost everybody here if you hang around long enough, right? And if you make that effort. And so you can use that to think about what does it mean to read it as an us and to to have God actually show you, have Jesus actually show you, hey, what's he doing? What is the good work that you're doing, Jesus, in us? And how can I participate in that, right?